Welcome to Islam for Christians, episode 131, Islamic History, the year 625, the Battle of Uhud, part 4. In the final interaction of the Battle of Uhud, Abu Sufyan yells up to the surviving Muslims on the mountain, telling them that, hey, we are now even and specifically mentioning the dead of Badr, and that they have been answered for. And of course, as I mentioned, Umar then gives this legendary reply. We are not equal. Our dead are in paradise, and your dead are in hellfire. Of course, this is a great line. And in the history books, Umar certainly gets the better of Abu Sufyan. But really, in this final bit of trash talking, it's actually Abu Sufyan's words that are far more significant. Because he is basically saying, hey, we're even. The battle is over. We'll get into that decision a bit for now. But the important part is that the battle is over. Well, that is at least among the living. Because while Abu Sufyan and Umar were giving their opinions on the cosmic scoreboard, and Abu Sufyan was basically saying, all right, um, you give up, we give up, we're even, we're probably going to go. But before anybody goes anywhere, Abu Sufyan's wife was still busy with her earthly obsession, that being the newly assassinated person of Hamza. Now, as you learned previously, Hamza was dead, killed by a well-trained marksman on the battlefield, sort of an ancient version of a sniper. But for Hind, or Hind, you know, you see it different ways, H-I-N-D, but for Hind, it's Abu Sufyan's wife, that wasn't enough. Even though Hamza was dead, her obsession lingered. And when you think of this episode, you can kind of think of it as, what would have happened if Ahab had actually caught Moby Dick? What would he have done? How would he have treated the carcass of the white whale once he had successfully hoisted it up onto his ship? Well, if Ahab had been able to win, he probably would have done what Hind began to do to Hamza on the now silent battle, well, not silent, but calmer battlefield. The battle was over. Now, that slave who had killed Hamza, well, that guy, he eventually wandered back onto the battlefield once it was safe to do so. And finding Hamza's dead body, he cut out Hamza's liver and delivered it to Hind. Or alternately, you'll also see Hind cut open Hamza herself. But then, this woman, Hind, she either ate the liver or at least took a bite out of it. Now, why the liver? At that time, in that place, the liver was considered the ultimate source of life, perhaps a pagan understanding of the soul. She was consuming Hamza's soul, basically, or his strength, or his essence, whatever it is that's most important. Because in her worldview, there was no greater revenge than this, but even that wasn't the end. She then cut off his nose and his ears and some other things, and allegedly 
she and some of the other women made jewelry out of the body parts of the dead. Now, Hind was just in ecstasy at this moment. As far as she was concerned, Mecca had won the battle. Her personal vendetta had been fulfilled in dramatic fashion. And so, in the history books, she climbs a rock and gives this loud shrieking speech to everyone. This is from Ibn Ishaq's Life of Muhammad. We have paid you back for Badr, and a battle that follows a battle is always violent. I could not take the loss of Utba, her relative, or my brother, or his uncle and my first son. I have claimed my vengeance and fulfilled my vow. Oh, you, Washi, who was the slave who killed Hamza, you have soothed the burning of my breast. I will thank Washi for as long as I am alive, until my bones rot in the grave. And then there was another deranged monologue from Hind in here, which was again directed toward any Muslims who might be able to hear. And she shouted, I took my revenge on Hamza at Uhud. I cut his belly to get at his liver. This removed what I had felt of burning sorrow and massive pain. War will hit you with excessive force, coming upon you like a pouncing pride of lions. Now, was any of this exaggerated to have a cartoonish evil villain? It's possible. You can't know for sure. But it certainly makes for a very interesting character. So here, let's just recap what makes Hind such an interesting part of the Battle of Uhud. Revenge? Check. Murder? Check. Desecration of a corpse? Check. Cannibalism, check. The Jezebel of Islam had her moment. Although, to be fair, if you want to be nitpicky about it, she isn't quite Jezebel. Like so many of these villains, she would actually later become a Muslim, even though right now she doesn't seem like a serious candidate for conversion. But she converts, for real, after all this. I should have said spoiler alert, actually, but... This will be a very common thing once we approach the 630s. Now, whether she actually meant her conversion, like all those other people, that's certainly up for debate. But technically, the woman who ate Hamza's liver did come to God, the real God. And I should note, let's go back to the battlefield here, this Jeffrey Dahmer-like activity this mutilation and cannibalism. This wasn't a hugely widespread thing, mostly because the Quraysh, at least the few actually mutilating the dead at the time, they were quickly denounced by their non-Quraysh allies. So this was a short-lived thing on the battlefield of Uhud. But the Quraysh, they at least regained their composure and their decency, once they realized just how bad this may look to people that they probably needed to impress in the future, notably the entire area that was going to be divided between Mecca and Medina. Now, even Abu Sufyan, he poked Hamza's body with a sword and briefly taunted him, but then quickly apologized and said, you know what? I'm sorry. That was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. That's not me. That's not us. That's not what we're about. 
Of course, his official story would be that he neither encouraged nor discouraged this sort of thing, even though it was actually his crazy wife who was going nuts in the aftermath of the battle and eating livers and giving speeches and wearing body part jewelry. So you could see how a reasonable person of the time might pin this on Abu Sufyan anyway. So back on the mountain, Mount Uhud, which gives this battle its name, the group of surviving Muslims were not sure the battle was actually over yet. They would have no say in what the Meccans would do next, but they were obviously interested in what would actually come next. Would this army go back to Mecca? Or would it move on to Medina? A move toward Medina would raise all sorts of problems, and some very quick and difficult decisions would need to be made. And luckily for the Muslims on the mountaintop, a scout was able to confirm that they were headed toward Mecca. And he did this with the logical inference that he took by watching the way they were marching, because they were riding on their camels and walking with their horses. And because of that, he decided Mecca was their destination. Because if they had been trying to go for a quick, you know, shock strike on Medina, they would have been riding their horses, you know, not walking them. And in that case, again, that's not a situation anyone wanted to deal with, but luckily for the Muslims, they never had to. So the Muslims really dodged a bullet there in a way. Well, maybe <laughs> because the biggest unanswered question of this battle for me is why? Why? would Abu Sufyan not press what seemed to be an advantage, especially when the objectives had not been met? Remember the Meccan objective, to end Medina, to end it as a Muslim community and a threat to them. That had not been achieved. And yet, there was Medina. It's right there. Just turn the army and go at it. Why not? Well, perhaps it just wouldn't have been as easy as it looks from our vantage point 1,400 years in the future, which is why I say maybe the Muslims dodged a bullet there. You know, perhaps Medina would have been okay. It's just really hard to say what a battle for Medina would have looked like right after this battle. Again, it's not as simple as it seems. And remember that Abu Sufyan, he was smart, but also, you know, this is in my judgment, a somewhat risk-averse person, more of a sensitive political leader than a gung-ho George Patton type. So he was looking at the whole picture. So what was it that he was seeing that made him not go at Medina? Yes the Meccans had run the Muslims off the battlefield. But the following things were also true. For one, the Meccans fared quite poorly in a straight battle against the Muslim soldiers. Two, they didn't know how many more warriors were out there, particularly in the direction of Medina. Three, they did not know how many more Aus and Khazraj people 
who didn't take part in this battle might come at them if they actually attacked Medina. Men And four, many of their men were wounded, and they wanted to tend to that. And lastly, number five, many of their horses were badly wounded, full of arrows, and those horses were quite valuable. There's just enough uncertainty to give pause to a guy like Abu Sufyan. And I also want to highlight that last one I went over. That last one's very important. Many of their horses were badly wounded and full of arrows. Just a quick aside. There are other theories on what happened in the Battle of Uhud. And some more secular historians are a little skeptical of the Muslim account, especially because of the way it was spun into a morality tale, a cautionary tale, a theological explanation for why they lost and why it was important to listen to the prophet always. Now you'll recall those cowardly archers, the ones who saw the army plundering the Meccan camp. If indeed that did happen, and more secular-minded historians do not concede that the Muslim armory ever even got that far all the way to the Meccan camp. If the archers indeed left their post, exposed the flank, and caused the rout, isn't it weird that none of those archers are, never na- are ever named, right? We don't know these people. Isn't it strange there wasn't some kind of dramatic trial or a court-martial naming and shaming these people? There very well may have been. It's just not in the records. Now, we have the names of some of the archers, but only of the ones who stayed. Is it possible that the archers never left the hill at all? Is it possible they were simply overrun by a gallant cavalry charge all at once? Perhaps the horses were full of arrows and hobbling and bloody because they had actually charged that hill at the beginning of the battle. And of course, this being history, we don't know for sure. We can only speculate. But it does cross your mind from the very beginning when you're learning about this battle. The very second you see the setup for this battle. Are the Meccans really going to be content to leave their cavalry on the sideline for the whole battle? Especially when you have an individual general just for them. Can 50 archers really hold off 200 cavalry? Maybe. If you put your cynic hat on here, Muslim historians could have fudged this in a rather grand way. Maybe the 50 archers were not enough. Maybe the strategy was lousy in the first place. Maybe the archers were simply overrun. But the information machine was able to turn it into a grand tale of greed and disobedience which would be exceptionally convenient. Then the planners are off the hook. So is Muhammad for okaying the strategy to leave the city and set up here. You know, you still don't know how many other locals were upset that he didn't go with that original plan. And this story actually further cements Muhammad's power and the importance of adhering to his every word. And all you would need for this to create this story would be to 
sacrificed the reputations of some archers who were already dead anyway. Maybe. (laughs) Again, the eternal caveat of history. Maybe. And that's the fun and the frustration of history. You can read between the lines, but it's not always as clear as you would like it to be. And the same is true when you're trying to evaluate Abu Sufyan as a strategist. If the more cynical version I just gave you is correct, the Meccans may have been a bit more bloodied than we thought. In either version, you have wounded horses for sure. But the difference between two horses who overran a dozen archers is quite different than 200 horses who overran 50 archers. It could be hugely different and maybe dramatic enough to just call it a day and end the battle. Now, as for what I think happened, honestly, I could go either way. Maybe it's a bit of both. It often is. We'll never know. Personally, I can see 200 horses overrunning 50 archers. It wouldn't be pretty, but it's definitely possible. But I can also see regular people, soldiers, whoever, just people being people with human nature, I can see them letting up before they're supposed to let up. Again, just out of simple human nature. Human nature is eternal. It's no different now than it was 1,400 years ago. You see this kind of thing all the time, and even now, with much, much lesser stakes. You see an athlete celebrating too early, throwing away what would have been a great victory, even though their coach had told them hundreds of times not to do that. Just think of a baseball player admiring a long fly ball and standing at home plate and celebrating his home run, only to have it hit the wall. Then the embarrassed player scampers to first base when he really should be standing at second or third. This probably happens 100 times each season. It never stops. Humans do human things. And those archers, they were humans. Now, whatever really happened at Uhud, in the end, Abu Sufyan looked at all of this. He declared victory and he decided to go home. They didn't win. But maybe they could declare victory and just use that to rally more allies to their side. Win the next battle. Remember when I talked about propaganda a few episodes back? That is not a modern concept. Especially when you're trying to win allies on an extremely fragmented Arabian Peninsula. Winning the battle of perception was just as important as armor and horses and warriors mainly because the better and stronger you are perceived to be, the more armor and horses and warriors you will ultimately have at your disposal. And that would be the next Meccan task, to rally as many tribes as they could to actually, finally, finish off Medina. So the Meccans would call it a day, and call it a victory. That was their story. They're sticking to it. And you can just see them coming back to Mecca and someone says, hey, how'd it go? Did we win? 
And the Meccan replies, well, it's complicated. <laughs> but tell everyone on the outside that we won and Muhammad is weak. And the Muslims also had a tale to tell, but theirs is a little more complicated and actually far more interesting. Because the Muslims were not just fighting for their home and their religion, but as their religion continued to exist, they were creating theology on the fly in reacting to these events. So there would be an explanation for this, and it would be a clear one. And they wouldn't have to wonder what God was thinking regarding what happened at the battle. They wouldn't have to think, what did we do wrong? This was pretty easy to discern because, after all, they had a prophet with a direct line to God. And he can tell them all of that. And he would tell them all of that as the Muslims unpacked the wins and losses and the lessons from the Battle of Uhud. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.